get started, I want to take the time to thank you to everyone who's been listening to The Wanna Pod. Please keep rating, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And come on, tell a friend who might benefit from listening. That's what it's all about. Add us to your Instagram story, shout us out on Twitch, everything helps. Help us spread the word about the importance of talking about mental health. Also, if you've been listening, you know that sometimes we joke about suicide, death, and other difficult mental health issues. But we want you to know that we don't really take it lightly. We're concerned about you and the rest of our listener base. Um, basically, we really care about you and your well-being. So if you are having suicidal thoughts, a plan, or suicidal ideations, stop listening to this podcast Podcast and call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. They provide 24-7 support to people in crisis situations. Myself, I've called this number before when I was in a very dark place. They helped me get the resources I needed to be okay. Remember, this podcast is about opening up the conversation, and sometimes it's easier to talk about hard stuff when there's a little laughter involved. Remember, we want you to stay with us, and you are not alone, because we are no Alamo. Oh my god. You guys, welcome to We Are No Alamo, the mental health podcast. So, to protect the identity of our guest today, we prefer to stay anonymous, and we will be calling him Jay. So, welcome, Jay. Welcome to the Wana fam. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty great. Awesome. So, a little bit about myself. Um, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, depression, generalized anxiety that often falls under bipolar disorder, um, PTS, and ADD, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's your story behind mental health? Uh, yeah, no, uh, actually I have spent a little bit of time in, uh, counseling. My mom actually dealt with, uh, she had, she had a counselor she went to in order to deal with my father's addiction. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I've, I've gone to her counselor a number of times, but personally, I've probably had moments where my mental health has suffered, but nothing that's been sustained or long term. So I think more or less just kind of uh, it's been sort of a family affair that we've kind of gotten to deal with. My father, uh, his, his addiction issues uh, are, I think, in some way fueled by his own uh, MI. Um, and so I wanted to uh, when I originally taught, reached out to you. We had kind of talked about sort of my experience of, of him, some of the coping mechanisms that we came up with, and uh, and, and sort of how his addiction uh, has been affected and fueled by sort of, you know, his own uh, MI. So, Great. Yeah. How did that affect you growing up? Oh, goodness. Um, so from a very early age, dad would disappear. Um, my, talking to my mom, she said that he started this right after they got married. Um, and what do you mean by this? I'm sorry. His his addiction. Uh, oh, his, his addiction became very... Pause, yeah. pause, huh? pause. So, accountability jar. Please. One of the things we have here is no apologies. Sure. So, if you're just apologizing for something that you aren't really sorry about or doesn't really deserve an apology, just, like, trying to fill in space. Like, okay. what were you apologizing for? Just being open about your childhood? I don't even remember what I said that I'm sorry for. Exactly. So, yeah. so there you go. <laughs> Fair so enough. we're going to put 10 cents in the oh, accountability All jar. Right. Fair enough. All right. uh, well, I'm, I'm going to have to drop like 10 bucks in that sucker because it's going to come out. At some you know, point. I'll just call you out on it. You Please, really don't have to worry about, let's, let's <laughs> about do it. it. Um, All right. So growing up. Yeah. To it. So growing up, uh, my father would disappear for a number of days. 
uh, usually somewhere between two to three days, where he'd go off on some sort of bender. Uh, this usually included alcohol, pills, uh, cocaine, crack. Uh, I don't know what listeners know much about the East Coast, but uh, Baltimore is one of the, the, the heaviest cities for, for drug use. About 10% of the population is addicted to heroin, crack, or cocaine. Uh, so 660-ish thousand people. 10% of that means about 60,000 people. Uh, and that's just the in the city proper. Right. Uh, uh, my father was a white-collar worker who, uh, you, you know, he, his addiction, he, he would go into the city to find sources to fuel his addiction. Um, so, so for me, it was generally dad would disappear for a number of days, usually somewhere into Baltimore. Um, he'd come back. Uh, we would also experience... Uh, periods of my childhood where it was feast or famine. Uh, Dad would lose a job sometimes for about right. a year, maybe six months, maybe two years. There's no work. We would have to live off of uh, someone's generosity or an organization's generosity. Where they, my, We were very lucky that my mom jumped into to Al-Anon very early. And so she had a number of friends. That's great. Yeah, it That's was really good. Honestly, it was That's a hard thing to do to be like, yeah, you know, we have this issue going on in our family. Um, Al-Anon is a great resource. I mean, our family grew up with an alcoholic yeah, father. Absolutely. And that's that helped us a lot, a uh, lot to understand, like, the source of addiction, like, where it's stemming from, what you can do to help it, how you're going to help yourself and other family members. Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, like, there are a number of things that my mom tried to pass on to us as, like, Al-Anon standard practices that right. I didn't realize that actually. Can you speak on that a little bit? Sure. I mean, like. Yeah, I'm a little yeah, so, there you go. Uh, so, Al-Anon is a support group for members of uh, of a family who have an uh, alcoholic in them. Naranon is for a drug uh, family of drug addicts. Uh, so, some of their standard practices they have. Um, oh man, they have the twelve. Uh, so, uh, the addicts A A N A they have the twelve steps. Okay. And Al-Anon, we generally kind of follow along in that journey with our addicted partner or family member. And you kind of walk those 12 steps. Uh, I'm struggling to remember what they are. But one of the most uh, important things that I remember seeing a lot growing up was the serenity prayer. Uh, you know, something like, uh, Lord, give me the strength to, uh, to recognize that. Is, is Elanon a, a, a practice that is predominantly in the Baltimore? Uh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. It's nationwide. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's been going since the oh, 30s. Well, the only reason I ask is because I know Baltimore is a heavy, uh, heavy Catholic community. Oh, right, yeah. 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 So, and the reason bringing in religion and all that stuff, I just figured maybe there was like some sort of correlation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that serenity prayer, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, courage to change things I can, wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. The, that's really awesome. I, I got yeah. lucky that my mom uh, saw that and, and imparted that onto us at a young age. Mm-hmm. So for it was, it was very quick for me to realize that some of my dad's behaviors weren't my fault. Uh, and, and that of course, was, that never. Was, no, I know, but like many, many children who go through this right. think, you know, what And also I... that's what Al-Anon's yeah. for, right? People, like AA is for Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, these other resources are for families, people who have been affected by addiction, mm-hmm. um, which also is a great resource. I had no idea that it existed until after AA, really. Okay. You know? Yeah, I, it, it, at least in, in my experience going through, we had many people who are in group uh, in, in Al-Anon, who basically said, yes, I'm also in AA. I'm also yeah. a recovering addict. So it, it, it seems to just be like a very uh, large factor in, in one's mental health and, and that these, you know, 
having suffered from having that in your family tends to also create this in in you. So yeah. I, I have a I have a, a question for you. Sure. Um, what is it that you that you? Well, I, I know like I'm, my main question here is you want to be off camera because you don't want anybody to really you know obviously privacy mm -hmm. is totally respectable. I get yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but a part of that I you know is, am I wrong in saying that a part of that is because you believe in your culture, which will obviously stay anonymous. Your business that you do, um, things that you cope with. Are, are not really something that's taken seriously. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. So I mean, Good question. I work in an Donnie, everybody. Yeah, I, I work in an industry where we often can contract with government, and government often will look for any sort of weakness in a person's character, uh, any perceived weakness. Background so, check things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So if uh, if you have something, I actually had a friend who he would testify as an expert witness until people found out that he played tabletop role-playing games. Wow. And when they found that out, he was no longer capable of being an expert witness because, uh, you know, a prosecutor or a defense... Uh, Believe that he can fictionalize things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it's very important that, I, that you know, is, anonymity is very important to me just because it could affect how I move in my professional sphere. Right. So, and yeah. since we're on that topic, let's talk about what you do. What do you do, Jay? Tell us about that. Uh, I work in the IT sector, uh, mainly. In what? what? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I uh, love IT. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I worked before. <laughs> yeah, I, I mainly work in, in security. So um, uh, the issues that we're talking about you, you, it requires a lot of trust. Not only in my ability to have expertise and understanding in the field that I'm involved with, but also in my trustworthiness in in character as a person. I'm sure, dealing, yeah. I'm sure if you're dealing with things as important as something as predominant as cybersecurity in this day and age, you're probably running through things that happen with with our everyday like peace officers where they have to go through background like psychological evaluations, things like that, exactly. just to make sure that you're able to uphold private information. And not use it against somebody later down the line. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so PII or personally identifiable information is a pillar of the cybersecurity community. Uh, most Hell of your, yeah. Yeah. Most of your job is just maintaining someone's PII, making sure it doesn't get leaked or doesn't, you know, find its way into some malicious actor's hand. Nerd you know, alert. Some yeah. High profile people <laughs> that you have to maintain their, which obviously can't be named, but you have to maintain yeah. their, they have to be Exactly. Uh, I work in a lot of uh, big commercial industries. We, our company also works with government. Uh, you know, we've got a number of folks who have sensitive information that shouldn't be put out there. I don't know if you've, you've heard of the Complete uh, Privacy and Security podcast. Um, I have actually. Yeah. Shout out. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry to, to drop that, but I'm. I That's ha also I to, ten yeah. cents. Yeah. It it <laughs> it is it is. If you listen to that podcast, it will terrify you what your personal information is used for on a daily basis by companies, by yeah. government, by, oh by anyone. Yeah. 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 So. For sure. No, no, I love I, it. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Scary stuff. And while we're <laughs> and while we're on that topic, okay, everyone, September is about structure. Mm-hmm. August was about awareness and acceptance. We're all about structure for the month of September. So, Jay, we've talked a little bit about how important Al-Anon and all those other outside resources were really important to you, helping create a, a positive baseline for mental health within your family. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think that structure would be incorporated into that story? Oh, my goodness. Uh, from my own personal journey, I spent a lot of time finding substitutes 
uh, whether that be a substitute family. I, I joined a traditional Chinese uh, Kung Fu style because it has very large emphasis on family. Uh, within traditional Chinese Kung Fu schools, your teacher is, is known as Sifu, which is uh, direct tra directly translated is teacher father. Mm -hmm. So he manages a community of people. Yeah. And uh, so all of my classmates were either my older or younger siblings. So anyone okay. who comes before me is, is responsible for my education. Anyone who comes after me, I'm responsible for theirs. It's very much a traditional Chinese family structure. Yeah. So I, I sought that out as a young, uh, in, in my teenage years, looking for a safe space. Uh, you know, that's a structure in and of itself. Uh, I was also involved. Definitely, in, uh, definitely. Absolutely. Do you, yeah. believe in, you believe in familiar, a, a, an Asian infrastructure of familiar, or just say. Like Western Asian, culture. Western culture. Do you believe that it works better than the culture or like the path that we follow here in the United States? No, 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 no. Uh, to be quite honest with you, um, I think that both cultural practices of, of familial uh, heritage or, you know, familial, uh, I guess, association, they tend to have their own distinct problems. Okay. Uh, and it's very specific. Do you uh, have an example? Yeah, sure. Uh, in, in Chinese Kung Fu, um, is, again, it has that family structure. We also have this notion of face. I don't know if you know what, what, what face is, but... Only from Game of Thrones. Yeah, so face is generally like, <laughs> my actions or my words will embarrass me, but it, but it could also embarrass people that I'm associated with. It's like, it's, a, it's very similar to like, like gangster culture. Gangster. I'm going to be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. Gangster. Like I, I spent a little time in DC working in, uh, with a nonprofit where I was involved in communities that had been ravaged by crime, by drugs. And I worked with people who had like been social justice stuff. Yeah. Who had been, uh, you know, some of these guys, I worked with an ex drug dealer. I've been, I worked with many ex cons. And when you, when you talk to them, when you listen to them, they have to give props to the people who are there because they don't want to offend anyone because that could cause conflict, physical or emotional or mental or social conflict. Like and triggers. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's very similar to uh, traditional Chinese Kung Fu culture where, like, if I don't represent someone, I might have to fight them later because I didn't give them the proper, you know, respect. Thus the phrase with one safe face. Right, exactly. There you so, go. you know, if uh, I'll give you an example. I was in Hong Kong with my teacher. And we were with some of his uh, with some of his classmates. Yeah. We had an, a Westerner who was there who wanted to go out. Wanted to you hang mean out one us. like us? Yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he was a fellow classmate, but he had been out of the out of the structure for a little while, out of the kung fu family for a while, and he wanted to go out like bar hopping. And you know, my kung fu teacher's classmates basically said, "Oh, he's only in it for himself." He's not interested in promoting the style. He's not interested in being a part of the family and making sure that we all look respected. And so they basically did everything they could to push him out. They didn't talk that out with anybody. It just immediately, their reaction went from friendly to very uh, isolationist. They didn't want uh -huh. to involve him in anything. So you know, these things are very, very important. Yeah. yeah. So That's crazy how, how much like these things are like, all of these, from politics to, to cybersecurity, <laughs> it, it all it it's just, so it true. Back to basic bare things that nobody would like. Oh my gosh! Values, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's, crazy. Uh, yeah. it's so true. And you were talking—I can't remember—but we were talking before about how you are a Quaker. 
Mm. Like, how? Please, <laughs> everyone, we got a Quaker in the building. Yeah, we got I know. a Quaker. That, that only, I, not I seem, the oats, just the person. <laughs> I seem to live a life of contradictions. Uh, so, my brother is in. You're in, a Kung Fu Quaker. Okay. I, yeah. Kung Fu Quaker? Yeah, exactly. I think we just got the episode podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, we got the uh, Kung Fu Quaker here, people. Quakerism is, a, is, is about finding that of the divine in other human beings, however you define the divine, whether that be in association with a metaphysical intelligence that has, uh, you know, all-powerful reach over the cosmos or your daily life, or whether that be uh, the power of love. Uh, that really depends on how you define divinity. Um, but for me, I grew up with... Um, I had a family member who had some toxic masculine uh, behaviors. Toxic masculinity ruins the party. It does, unfortunately. And so there are a lot of issues. I I think I got into Kung Fu originally because he saw in his world uh, that that life required more fighting and physical conflict than is necessary. And at a young age, when I was about in my teenage years, I asked my uh, uh, family member if we could go and explore different religious traditions. And found that uh, Quakerism has an emphasis on on seeking the divine in other people. So for many Quakers, that means that uh, they are pacifists. So they will not initiate in physical conflict. Uh, most Quakers agree that they shouldn't support war um, or, or military or, or institutions that contribute to violence, uh, physical or otherwise. Would yeah. you identify as a pacifist? Not even remotely. All right. <laughs> I had a family member who spent time. You seemed to- like a fighter. As, yeah, I, I had family who spent time in Southeast Asia in uh, uh, among a politically repressive regime in which the people's voice didn't mean anything. And so for some groups that meant physical confrontation and violence. And I learned very early on that there are some forces in the world that are truly evil and need to be fought. Um, however, I would put a big asterisk on that. And I would say that there are many times where we reach for violence far too quickly rather than trying to prevent physical conflict from coming into reality. I like that devil's advocate side. Pete, what do you think about what he just said? What do you think about the idea of this country being built on things like violence? Oh, my gosh. I think that in order for there to be violence, there needs to be anger somewhere, and anger is a function as an emotion and anger is a function for change in my opinion so so after you saying that because i, I totally after getting to know you i, I get you're a very peaceful person of course something that immediately but i'm very across. angry yeah no it comes across immediately but uh, uh, <laughs> i guess my i guess my question is whoa settle down now i know right <laughs> i guess my question is um your definition is totally fine but my i guess my question is if you look at the idea of violence from an, an animalistic perspective of who I, are Yeah, if there was happiness all the time, then there wouldn't be a motivation for change. Violence is a part of that. However, I think in society today, violence has been um, completely demonized. Like, there's good Thank types you. of violence. Thank you. No, It's seriously. conflict. It's not violence. Because we find violence in the animal kingdom every day. Of course. It, it can also be conflict resolution, to be exactly. honest. Exactly. Yeah. I, I grew up with a lot of, again, toxic masculinity, yeah. but a lot of pent-up anger about my family situation. You know, one day you're you're able to eat whatever you want to eat. The house is stocked full of things, and the next minute you're starving and hungry. Right. And so uh, kung fu, martial arts, and, and being able to hit something without it 
being another actual physical person helped me resolve a lot of emotional conflicts. And I love conflicts. that because yeah. we learned that in DBT and dialectal behavioral therapy. Yeah. Tip skills, man. Temperature, intense exercise, progressive muscle relaxation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would hit pallets with hammers. When I get mad, I'll go hit a tree with a hammer. Hashtag I plant the tree. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just something to well, get that energy but, out. But it's about standing up. Like you look at like True. Things, things of violence being demonized. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You see that, and you look at that, and you're like, okay. But I get that. But, but there, what about things like the civil rights movement? What if there? What if? What if? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, whoa Donnie. No, no, no. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. We're getting in it. We're what, getting in there. What about if African American people who have full right to have full respect from everybody because they're no different than me and you, okay, didn't stand up and didn't? Well, that was trying. That was the entire pull between. Back. That was the entire pull between Martin Luther King and uh, Malcolm X. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not an expert in this subject. There are plenty of people who definitely better yeah, authorities well, on this. Well, we are not medical professionals. We're just here to have a conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I mean, from a historical perspective and a, and a racial perspective, you know, like, I'm sorry. I'm, I, uh, That's 10 I, cents. I, yeah. What, what, what? But anyway. We got 40 cents on this guy but, right now. I mean, everyone. many people and many historians would argue that the reason that Martin Luther King's objectives were somewhat successful, I wouldn't say that they were completely uh, you know, that the reason that we did get the passage of the Civil Rights Act was because white folks feared uh, violent blacks or black supremacists yeah. that, you know, and, and the movements that were led, I guess Malcolm X became kind of a figurehead for that particular movement. I wouldn't necessarily say that's 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 completely him. But I mean, you he like, was able to be most vocal about it, right? Yeah, but in like the most professional way possible. I agree. Him and like the Black Panthers, the I think, time. scared. I think Black Panthers and, and, and Malcolm X scared a lot of white folks into oh we need to actually pay attention to those who are peaceful because if if we don't give you know credibility and credence to those who are peaceful we might see violence in our streets more so than we're already experiencing yeah, i mean you could look at like again we're being completely fully transparent here. yeah completely. i think violence is a necessity i think it's, I think it's necessary and the reason i say it that, is and, and and in the comments whatever people want to say about that they could say i this guy's nuts. It's a fair about peace. John Lennon, let's do it. But John Lennon! What I'm saying to you right now is that when you take situations like the civil rights movement, like World War II, where you have the Nazi movement, you have the Nazi, you have Adolf Hitler, who literally, if he wouldn't have been stopped... You're making our guests sweat. With war. Big with, D. With, with, <laughs> if, you, if you did not have this movement from, 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 a, from as far as war is concerned, like, what would have happened? The uh, world would be like, there's that show right now. What's it called? The, the Man on the High Tower. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It talks just about that. Yeah. Where if Hitler would have succeeded, what, what the world would have been like? It would be a fucking scary-ass place. It'd be boring. <laughs> and so, uh, It'd be if you take a look, Nazi. If you, yeah. <laughs> if you take a look at like the, the politics of the time throughout Europe, throughout the United States, globally speaking, I don't think it would have just been like if Hitler didn't exist, if someone had killed Hitler, someone definitely would have stood up and taken his oh, place. For sure. so for, yeah, 100%. Hiller like, definitely had some mental health <laughs> shit so going on. Like, like, like Mendela, yeah, like Dr. Yeah, Mendela, yeah, who yeah. was like just it's just as sick oh as Hitler. God, was. you know, like I mean, so yeah, I'm just dude. Okay, let's get into it. Yeah. We're gonna, we were gonna do one away in first, but I'm pretty sure. Actually, let's do one away in first. <laughs> it's it's way more boring and way more quick. Okay, one away in. Welcome, Jay, to Wanna Weigh In. Ooh. So, this is kind of a trivia part of the podcast. 
We are all about, September is about structure, right? Mm -hmm. And today we're talking about mental health and addiction. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think comorbidity means? Is it A, a description of two or more disorders or illnesses occurring in the same person? B, a new pharmaceutical substance that I saw on late-night TV? C, I have no idea, but it sounds bad. <laughs> I, I want to say B. That sounds like a fun option to go with, I guess. But I, I think I think I'm going to go with A. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, comorbidity <laughs> is a description of two or more disorders occurring at the same time. It's also called dual diagnosis. So what I have, bipolar, also a little bit of PTS and ADD. Mm. Comorbid, stacked on top of each other. It's great. Love my cocktail of meds. Hooray. Keep me on my baseline. We're good. All right. <laughs> Number two. Yeah. How many people in America suffer from comorbid disorders? Is it A, 2.8 million people? B, 7.9 million people have both a mental disorder and a substance use disorder? Or C, 1 million people? You better use a lifeline, buddy. <laughs> Goodness! Hey, yeah. Oh yeah. Who exactly. do I who do I call? Uh, man. Call your, call your kung fu master. I know you are not the weakest link. You uh, can break through uh, this. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with B because I think that's a problem that's far greater than anyone suspects. It's sure. true. It's mm-hmm. also known as co-occurring mental and substance use disorder, and this statistic is according to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Number three Ooh. is addiction a mental illness. Is it A, yes, B, no, C, you're born with it, oops. I would go with, my short answer is yes, A, uh, that, that, that yes, mental uh, addiction is, is an MI um, or mental illness. And it took a lot of personal soul searching because for a while when, when you're the recipient of some of these behaviors is like, well, this guy's a selfish asshole. Right. And exactly. It, it takes, it takes a lot of, of struggle. I had a friend whose uh, son is, uh, has a lot of the same problems that my father has in a worse way. Uh, his son was arrested for, uh, for robbing a liquor store so that he could get his money to get drugs. And he's just like, my son's a selfish asshole. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's nothing, there's no mental disease about it. You know, but the thing is like, I don't know, for my, my father, it tended to be more of a compulsion. Like, he tried to do the best he could with the tools he had, and just every once in a while, something took hold of him that he could not right. shake off. It's like you couldn't get a break from your own mind. Right. And so I, I guess maybe he just got tired of, of domestic uh, bliss, and, or something was just stale, or maybe he just needed some sort of stimulation. I honestly couldn't tell you. But, uh, you know, I, I think mental illness or an MI, you know, that – Probably is the best fit for what he was going through. I really enjoy that. So, we're going to get into what you've all been waiting for. Oh, Billy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, all right. It's topic of the week. Movie character psychoanalyze. You guys, why do you think people are attracted to the idea of someone being different? Because of these characters. Why do we love these characters? Because they're too scared to be different. There, I said it. There you go. Oh, <laughs> too scared oh, to be different. There, I said it. Because society won't let you be different without you having to wear your mask, a.k.a. That's good. Bruce Wayne. Okay. Okay. Do you ever see what I did there? Yeah, I yeah, saw I what that. you did. Yeah. I mean, 
You're really we, good we talking, in that mask movie too. Are we talking Josh. Christian Bale Batman? Or are we talking like, like <laughs> where are the drugs? <laughs> where are the drugs? <laughs> I don't know where to hide from you, so I'm going to do this. <laughs> I've got throat cancer. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost a million oh, listeners. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh, well. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so you guys, there's been like a point of contention like in the academic field where like diagnosing a fictionalized character is stupid to do. Like they've just exacerbated these symptoms of someone who's psychologically insane. I'll tell you why I think that is. Why do you think that is? Because people look at film, which rightfully so. I do film myself. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an independent filmmaker. Yeah. They do. Th- they look at things like film as artwork, and they would hate because he's attainted with some sort of mental handicap on top of that. Really? Like, they don't want a character so- like Heath Ledger's Joker, who's so well written. So well put together on screen, everyone's rooting for this guy. They would hate that somebody goes there and says, "Oh, but that's only because like." It's I think the Joker would hate that too. So <laughs> here's the thing: I hate all powerful characters. Like Superman is boring AF. Oh my god, IRL AF. Sorry, jumping some acronyms there. Yeah, sorry about that. You heard here first. Are we talking about Henry Cavill Superman? I'm sorry. We're talking about the suave, handsome son of a bitch. Christopher Christopher Reeve. All of them. All of them. I'm sorry. Look, their only weakness is kryptonite? What? They don't have any character, like, personality weaknesses? Come on, that's boring. All right? Exactly. So let's talk about the Joker. What are his personality weaknesses? I don't... Let's get into it. That's rough. I mean, again, like, like Joker is brilliant. I think I think sometimes he he enjoys toying with us and and making you think that maybe there's something wrong with him. But toying he, Joker, yeah, do you yeah, see know, right? that connection? <laughs> maybe. Oh. I I have to say I think today in Hollywood the closest representation of the Joker that I can see right now is Jim Carrey. And the reason I oh say my that, god yes completely the reason I say that hundred percent Jim Carrey has become this this. Like vessel of chaos. Mm-hmm. What, when I say chaos, he was the what about Nicholas Cage though? Like Nicholas Cage is okay. All right, let's not talk about my friend. Let's not talk about Nicholas old Nick. Cage still wants to be Superman. Right. Right. No, what I'm saying to you is that as 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 a whole, Jim Carrey's persona of he goes into an interview now. They ask him a question, and he's like, I don't know shit. Whatever's ever. Well, because he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood at one time. For the mask, he got paid like something insane, like over ten million dollars. Yeah, but that's a distinct scene in Batman in the Dark Knight where Joker takes all of the mafia's money. Wait, are we talking and about Jim Carrey? Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Where he burns it, like he, he shows them all. This is not going to bring you guys shit. You have no. to become an agent of chaos. In order for everything to work, so you never have to worry about anything because nothing ever matters. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think he. Well, Heath Ledger's Joker. I don't think he was necessarily an agent of chaos. I think that man went into it with a plan, and I think he was more ideological in his. I think he was an anarchist, definitely. I don't know if that's necessarily an agent of chaos, one hundred percent, because again, his he had a very direct method to what he was doing. Do would you? say that that could be like a source of manipulation for some sort of undiagnosed mental health like scary situation yeah, or do put, you where think would we put him in like a bracket? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, he was definitely a master manipulator. I mean, at least uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. We're talking about how he interacts. So like a sociopath. 
I, I wouldn't know how to diagnose that, even if I could. You know, I'm, basically, he's using everyone else's as pawns for his own. Yeah. Well, like yeah. sourced whatever he wants to the, do. The, the, the bank robber scene in the beginning is a telltale yeah. sign of that. Yeah. How every <laughs> how every single one of his people that he works with gets he kills each and every one of them. Oh yeah. He does not care. Uh, yeah. It's not. It's not even just the bank robbers. It's Harvey Dent. How he manipulates Harvey into becoming this horrendous monster to prove a point. Like. That, that was a plan. That the White Knight can eventually turn into the enemy. Right, that was planned, 100%. Can we, him, can we talk about Gandalf the White? No. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know what? That's Gandalf. Gandalf didn't, check start, it. Check, didn't check. start tearing shit up until he just gave up. That's true. You know what I mean? Like Gandalf, Gandalf you start off the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He could be You're depression. He's smoking weed because he's sick and tired of Middle Earth. He's like, these guys got so many problems. That's true. Gandalf is an agitator, man. Gandalf is an agitator. Like, no, that that original journey with Bilbo Baggins. He's trying to disrupt. He's disrupting. Exactly. It wouldn't have happened unless Gandalf was like, yo, let's all go on adventures. And everybody was like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. What if they weren't? Hold up. Yeah. What if they were smoking some indica or shit? Like, we're not doing this. I can piggyback off this. Okay, okay, okay. Do it, do it. Because Gandalf is an agitator. And I'll tell you why. I agree with this statement. He's an agitator because... You start off in the Shire in Middle Earth, and this son of a son of a bitch, okay, bitch. has has eagles the size of seven forty seven. Oh my gosh! I send, love where you're going with you this. Send no, look, each of these little innocent, delicate hobbits right, right, right to Mordor to drop the ring in. What does he do? Well, you gotta walk, this, son of a gun. This, this, right. this journey would never have started if Gandalf had just been like, "Oh, hey, there's a ring in that direction. We oh, should hey. just we should just leave that alone." I'm, yeah. just gonna, I'm gonna wave my yeah. stick at Gollum for y'all. Like, I'm just gonna and, take oh, care of poof, it. He's incinerated. We're, we're done with this. Make, and then we're gonna make three movies that are both AKA walking exactly. simulators. <laughs> I'm just getting in on the side of Tolkien for a second. I really respect his background knowledge of all of this bullshit because otherwise that book could have been five pages long. <laughs> Listen, I get it. You gotta sell something. You gotta make something. Somebody's gotta fight a giant spider. Somebody's gotta fight goblins. I get it. But don't finish a movie off with four giant three giant eagles that were there the whole time. Don't do that. Oh hey by the way all that suffering you did completely unnecessary. It's yeah. actually it doesn't it's just Dude, we should, have told, yeah. we should have told Gandalf that September was about structure, because structure would have been, number one, Hobbit, Eagle. Number two, Hobbit, Eagle. Number three, Hobbit, Eagle. Number four, yourself and an eagle. Go to Mordor. <laughs> I think Gandalf is the real enemy in that movie. Do you? I think Gandalf is worse than Sauron. Uh, I, think Gandalf, I think Gandalf's smoking his, this. Pi- he's smoking his pipe. You know, so that's what's up. In, in his mind, he's like, the rim's here. We got all these problems. Smoke, and then and then the pot kicked in. The, the THC slowly started going into his I'm bloodstream, uh, into his wizardly bloodstream. I'm gonna bring this back full circle. <laughs> all right. So like what, a number of a number of things that, that that pacifists and Quakers tend to talk about is uh, is preventative uh, measures rather than than just trying to treat a problem. And I think right. friggin' Gandalf could have prevented a whole bunch <laughs> yeah. of nonsense if that man had just like taken a minute to think. They're like, all right, that was good. That was there, good. There's, there's a there's a big like can of worms over here. How do we not unleash that? <laughs> exactly. You know, that dude knew exactly what was up. You shall not make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if somebody in the Shire owed him a debt. 
I don't know, Bilbo and, and, and <laughs> maybe maybe something went down in the back burner, deleted scene. I know, I no right? But Gandalf was, was out to be like, listen, I got this, I have this transportation, but I, I fucking hate Can't, you and you're going to walk. No, 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 Gandalf. it was all about learning the lesson. It was all about finding themselves no, 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 no. and the journey and the Gandalf, adventure. Gandalf, Come Gandalf, on, Jay. Gandalf, Gandalf, Come on, Jay. Gandalf is that friend Jay. who's like, I don't like drama. But then they seem to be that friend that collects all the drama around them. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah everyone's got it's one Karen. of those. Karen yeah. in the county. God damn it, Karen. God damn it, Karen. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally, I totally get it. I totally, I totally, anyway, so yeah. Y'all, you guys, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Jay, for joining us. I, I try, I try. Welcome to the Wana fam. This is fantastic. We love you. Thank you so much for being with us. We Donnie, love you and we hate Gandalf. We love you. What a, what a dick. What a dick. So, <laughs> that guy Remember, you're not alone because three, two, one. We, we are no Alamo. No you know what? Uh, three, two, one. We're no Alamo. Alamo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Cheers, y'all. All right. Oof.